As I was rummaging through the archives of the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, I found this great episode we had on jersey number four, the best players ever wore jersey number four, with Dan Newman of Hello Old Sports Podcast, where Dan and I had a great discussion talking about the greatest number fours in NFL history. Stay tuned. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Now to continue our quest to find the greatest players ever to wear each number jersey, we are going to go to our great interview we had with Dan Newman of Hello Old Sports. We have got a special treat today. We are going to talk about the jersey number four, and we have a guest, Dan Newman. Dan is from Hello Sports Podcast on the Sports History Network. He and his brother Andrew have this podcast, and it's it's phenomenal. If you haven't listened to it, make sure you do it as soon as you're done with this podcast, because they are two brothers, and they debate about sports. Uh, they love a good list. Uh, they grew up in the New York area, and... Uh, they're just phenomenal sports addicts, and you can tell from the, their passion that they show because they cover not only football but a wide range of sports. It's a very interesting program, and I'd like to bring him in right now. Dan Newman, welcome to the Pigpen. Thanks, Darren. Really glad to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you. We have the jersey number four as our topic of the day as we go through our journey of jersey number by jersey number, started at zeros, we're working our way up to 99, and we're just getting started here, so we're glad to have you here to start talking about some number fours. I'm glad to be here. You were good enough to guest on our podcast, uh, talk about Gail Sayers back in December on our In Memoriam series, so really glad to be a guest here and looking forward to talking about some quarterbacks, kickers, and punters. Yeah, it should be a good time. should be a good time. we got some good players on here, though, for number fours. And what we're going to try to do, just to explain to our audience, we're going to come put a compelling case together to come up with our what we think our top number fours of all time are. And it's mainly NFL we're going to be talking about. Uh, there might be a little bit touching in some other leagues, uh, but not really the college game because it gets kind of hairy there when you go into numbers there because – Gosh, you can have four, three or four number fours on one team, uh, the way the rules go. So let, why don't you – well, let's let's uh, start off and talk about – we have three gentlemen that are in the Hall, Pro Football Hall of Fame that wore the number four. So I don't know if we want to start off with them just to – I think they're probably a good place to start, and I think really – one of these guys is head and shoulders above the rest. It's the only one – if you were to say to anybody, name a football player who's associated with the number four, I would say 95% of fans would take Brett Favre, all-time great passer, three MVP awards, all-century team, all of those things. So I think if you had to pick one, it would definitely be Brett Favre. I, I think so, but I think it could be debatable. There's another one on the Hall of Fame list that played in a little bit different era that many may claim might have been as good or better than Favre, and that's Ernie Nevers. Uh, Ernie Nevers played uh, in early football, and uh, we'll get into a little more detail on him, but uh, I, I could make a compelling case for him also. I think you could definitely. I think the one thing Ernie Nevers, uh, he was an inaugural Hall of Famer when the actually he was a part of the inaugural class of both the pro and college football halls of fame. I don't know what year the college football Hall of Fame opened, to be honest with you, but the pro football Hall of Fame was in '63, and he was one of the. I think it was 1954. Was for the college football for the college. Hall of fame. Is there somewhere in the early 50s? Uh, Nevers played five years, uh, mostly with the Chicago Cardinals, but also a couple other places. Um, when the NFL a hundred years, or not a hundred years ago, when the NFL about ten years ago did their uh, top one hundred players of all time, he was eighty ninth, and he doesn't often get talked about as much as guys like Jim Thorpe or Red Grange. But 
I think is just at least as far as NFL career, he had a much better career in the NFL than Jim Thorpe did. He played five years. He was an all pro all five years. Um, you talked about how our podcast, Andrews and mine, talks about all different sports. So I should would be remiss if I didn't mention that Nevers was also a pitcher uh, for, I think it was the St. Louis Browns in the American League and Major League Baseball ah. for three years. And then the other interesting thing about Nevers is he had a record with six rushing touchdowns in a single game, a record that stood, and it still stands, but it's he stood alone with that record from the mid-1920s, almost 100 years, all the way up until Thanksgiving of 2020, when Alvin Kamara tied that record as yeah, a member of the That was amazing. <laughs> that was a great game, yeah, and it was funny. I remember watching that, and I said, I think that Ernie Nevers might have this record, and sure enough, he did, so... I would probably still lean far, but I think you can make an argument for for Ernie Nevers definitely. Well, let me let me bring a couple things out about Nevers that you that you didn't mention here. Okay, uh, my, well, you did mention the All Pro five times, and he only played five seasons in the NFL. I don't know if anybody has been that. I mean, it wasn't All Pro; it was All NFL back then. But it's mm-hmm. the equivalent of All Pro. I mean, five for five—that's pretty good. Uh, you, you talked about Thorpe. Well. There's a quote in the uh, football National Football Foundation's website on uh, Never's bio that uh, Hall of Fame coach Glenn Pop Warner coached him, also coached Thorpe, and he picked Never's over Thorpe as his personal choice for the greatest football player of all time. I mean, that's that's college. Now he's talking, but still, that's pretty impressive because Thorpe had a much better college career than he he did pro. Uh, the other thing is he. Um, he had it was the sort of the star of the nineteen twenty five Rose Bowl, and he played for uh, Stanford at the time. Stanford was playing Notre Dame when the Four Horsemen were playing that ah. that famed year of nineteen twenty five, and he Stanford lost the game. Notre Dame won, of course, but he had more yards rushing than all four of the Four Horsemen combined in the Jeez. Rose Bowl. So. I mean, I know we're going back into college a little bit, but that's just sort of the, the background of this guy. He's a, I mean, he was a legend. Um, but, and the other thing I really like about him, in his, on the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I believe it might have been his uh, enshrinement speech. Here's what he said. I like the, pl- the way I played it. You went a full 16 minutes. We went from September to January and from Maine to Texas to the Pacific Coast. In all, we played 29 games and had only 16 men on the squad. If the coach took a man out of the game for a substitution, he got mad. That's how much we loved it. I mean, if that's not football, <laughs> that guy's just, he's all in. To be fair, that may be the reason he only lasted five seasons is that he was playing both <laughs> sides be. of the ball in 29 games a year. But. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, what, uh, you know, 130 games almost. Yeah, that's a 10-year career these days. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's, well let's, let's go to Farf. Let's uh, talk a little bit about him. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I have always thought – I've never been the biggest fan of Brett Favre. First of all, I think from a – statistical point of view I think he was a little bit of a compiler he you know there were those few years in the mid 90s where he was really good I think he won three MVPs in a row he might have he might have split one with Barry Sanders as strange as that sounds but I think in like 90 97 maybe he, he split one with Barry Sanders so I've often thought that Favre does not belong on sort of the Unitas Brady, Montana, Peyton Manning, you know, that sort of upper, upper tier. But, and I also don't like the way he went out with his career. He, you know, the, the, the three or four years of I'm going to retire, I'm going to come back. I'm going to retire, I'm going to come back. So I will fully admit to never having been his biggest fan, but in a lot of ways, just the crazy numbers that he put up and the fact that he was able to be a top level NFL quarterback for, God, you know, well over 15 years. I think those speak to themselves. He definitely had some years where he could have gone further in the playoffs and didn't, both with Green Bay and then later with the Vikings. But he is a great, great all-time quarterback. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the interesting thing, okay, as good as he was with the Packers, 
Do you realize his highest quarterback rating was his final year, 2009, with the uh, Vikings? He had a 107.2 quarterback rating for that year for, for you know, pretty extended uh, career. And that's to me, that was kind of an unbelievable thing. I would have thought for sure it was, uh, you know, One 1995 or you know, with the Packers. But, uh, yeah, uh, she started off with Atlanta, came out of a, a southern Mississippi, started off with the Falcons as a second-round pick. Um, and uh, they ended up trading him to the Packers. Uh, Holmgren uh, really liked them up there, and you can see why. You know, Holmgren sort of had some knowledge and the rest of us didn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> including the other 30-some coaches. Um, re- and he replaced Don Medjkowski in the week three of that first season with the Packers and never looked back. It was a phenomenal career he had. Real... Uh, gunslinger as you might say you know mm-hmm. it's kind of very fun to watch but yeah, he threw no. a, he threw a share of picks though um and many of them were ill-advised yes uh i think and i think that was it that last year when he was with minnesota when in the because oh nine was new orleans yeah i think they were in the nfc championship game in oh nine against uh, against minnesota um or against new orleans i should say and Favre. Late in the game, when they could have just gone on for a game-winning field goal, instead threw a pass that he shouldn't have thrown. I think I'm remembering that correctly. I, I and think then so. They he ended up getting it intercepted. He did do that sometimes in his career, but that's one stat I love to look at with quarterbacks. Is I love to look at their touchdown to their interception over their career. Mm-hmm. And Favre actually has a halfway decent one. He has 508 touchdowns, 336 interceptions. Not not horrible. I mean, you'll see some of these other quarterbacks that we'll talk about are less of a, a percentage than than that. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I guess I didn't, I didn't think it was that, I didn't think it was that lopsided. I would have thought the numbers would have been much closer to each other for Favre. I did too. I was kind of surprised because you think about him taking risks and you know throwing inopportune picks, but then he comes back with some great charge at the end of a game to, you know. Yep. <laughs> make up for it. So that's what I remember a lot about Brett Favre. Um, I have uh, a little, uh, just a slight piece of trivia about Brett Favre and the first ever pass he ever completed in the NFL. And there's really two two sort of interesting sort of factoids. First of all, he completed his pass. His first ever pass completed was to himself. It was a deflected pass ah. that he grabbed out of the air and got for like, you know, a, a negative one yard gain. And then the play-by-play guy that was doing the game for CBS was a guy by the name of Mike Emrick, who listeners to a football podcast might not recognize, but his nickname was Doc, Doc Emrick, one of the probably the most well-known and prolific NHL broadcasters of all time. Uh, And it was like one of the few NFL games he ever did, but I guess CBS had a bunch of games that weekend and they needed somebody, so they threw Doc Emrick in there. So Brett Favre's first pass completed to himself and <laughs> called by a Hall of Fame hockey announcer. Wow, that is some good trivia. <laughs> That'll win somebody uh, you know, a free beer at the bar on Trivia Night, one of these things. So. There you go. Hopefully one night soon, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, well, let's go to our, our third Hall of Famer, and that's Tuffy Lehmans. And Tuffy uh, played uh, back in the early NFL. His career spanned from 1936 through 1943, and he was up in your neck of the woods. He was a New York Giant for his whole career. He was, and it's one of those names you just hear of as a Giant fan. I'm not going to pretend that to be an expert in the career of Tuffy Lehmans, but the Giants, you know, as with a lot of teams, I think in the 19, uh, you know, maybe like the 1950s, probably retired numbers at a greater clip. Than they should have, and I think all of a sudden people realized, look, we're an NFL team, we have 60 people on our roster, we can't be retiring all these numbers, and they stopped eventually. So, for instance, for the Giants, the only numbers they've retired anytime recently are Sims and LT, and I'd imagine they'll do Eli at one point. I, mean, I don't even think they've done Strahan, but wow. Tuffy Lehmans has his number retired by the Giants. So if you go to a Giant game or if you just you know look it up, He's one of the handful of numbers that are retired for Gi- for the Giants. And, in fact, he and Favre are the only two guys that have number four retired. And 
Lehman's just like Ernie Nevers. He played both ways. He leads the Giants. He was an All Pro in 1938. Leads the Giants to uh, leads the Giants to the NFL Championship. Makes a couple of NFL title games uh, throughout his career in 39 and 41. His rookie year, which I think was 38, he led the league in rushing and. Even though the the stats for this weren't really very good at the time, or they weren't not good, they were non-existent, a teammate of his says that Lehman's may actually have been better on defense than he was on offense, which for a name like, with a guy with a name like Tuffy, you got to be good on defense. you got to be right. tough. So, yeah, I think a lot of times with these old football players, you know, pre-1940, you're going more on word of mouth and sort of the remembrances of their contemporaries and maybe to some extent also on how often they won so Lehman's scores high marks in both of those areas and so you know a deserving Hall of Famer yeah uh, he has kind of a real interesting story how he got on the Giants I'm not sure if if you've ever heard this one before but uh, he was playing at George Washington University and he was a standout there and not uh, didn't get a lot of notoriety in the press but uh, Tim Mara's son, who was Tim Mara, was the uh, founder of the Giants. Um, his son Wellington Mara, who's very famous himself for being owner of the Giants, was vacationing as a high schooler. He saw Tuffy play at GW and uh, came back and told you know dear old dad and the coaching staff about him. And uh, lo and behold, they they signed him that next year, and uh, it was a good good pick. So. Can thank Wellington Mara for that, the Duke. <laughs> yeah, Wellington. Yeah, and he was. Uh, he was there. Mara. The, it's crazy. Just you know, Mara was there from those days all the way through to to the early days of Eli Manning. So crazy. Ran the team well at times. Ran it not so well at other times. But Lehman's was one of the ones he got right. Right, and and he's also got his nickname on the NFL football too. That's called oh, Wellington the Duke does. because yeah, the Duke. of Wellington, yep. more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think we can probably agree those three players, Favre, Lehman's, Nevers, those are in our, our, our top five, definitely. Uh, and now we've, got, uh, now we've got a sort of a mixed bag here. We've got probably the quarterbacks is probably who we want to talk about next because there are some kickers, and there are some good kickers on there, but a kicker's not equivalent to the quarterback for – they're not on a field as much. They're, you know, not taking the hits that the quarterbacks are. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got uh, four quarterbacks that are still playing that are worth mentioning is what I have on my list. I don't know if you have anything differently there. I think and, I may have only had three of them, so I'm, I'll be curious to hear. Okay. Well, one just wore four for a brief moment. Oh, but, okay. <laughs> so it's, it's my hidden gem. But uh, – who who do you want to talk about first of our active quarterbacks at Ward number four? Uh, maybe because he's been so much in the news recently, I would start with Deshaun Watson. Okay, that's a good great one to start with. Um, who knows where he'll be next year? But right. uh, you know, three Paul three Pro Bowls in his first four years uh, led the league in passing yardage this year, and uh, has been to the playoffs a couple times. So. Wherever he ends up for the 2021 season and beyond, they'll be they'll be glad to have him. They'll be lucky to have him. Absolutely, yeah. He has uh, again. I like to go to that touchdown interception ratio. And for a young player, he has 104 touchdowns so far, only 36 interceptions. So that's that's a pretty good ratio there for for quarterback. Um, he's just a phenomenal athlete uh, and has instincts that are just off the charts. So I can see why every fan base uh, in the NFL is clamoring for uh, their team to trade for Deshaun Watson. And I personally don't think mm-hmm. that the Texans are going to trade him myself, but that's just my, my own opinion. I think he's just that valuable to him. Uh, where, where do you – how good of a player do you think he'll be? I mean, he's young right now. He's got the legs. He's known for that. What do you think he's going to be five to ten years from now? Ooh, you know – I think he'll be good. He's already good. I think he'll be. I think he'll be very good. I don't see him as sort of an all-time great. I don't see him on the level of some of the guys who are just leaving or getting ready to leave. Breeze, Roethlisberger, 
Um, Brady, obviously, is his own case. Right. He's certainly not as good as Sanchez. You know, he has, you know, L- Lamar Jackson's won an MVP. Watson hasn't, so I'd probably put Lamar Jackson a little bit above. I, I kind of envision Watson having sort of a Philip Rivers-like career. Maybe he'll win more than Rivers, but a guy who's good player on some good teams, probably not an MVP or a Hall of Famer. Okay, that's that's fair enough. I mean, here's sort of where I, I see his path going a little bit. He, traditionally, in the NFL, um, I can't think of too many examples that didn't follow this path, but young players that come in that have some great rushing yards, that, those rushing yards, as they get a little bit older and they take the hits and their bodies wear a little bit, they have to rely more on their arms than they do their legs that they did in their younger game. Absolutely. Um, and I think he's got the tools to be a pretty good pocket passer. I think that's where he has an advantage more so over a Lamar. Um, you know, definitely over, you know, Michael Vick sort of struggled in that area when he had to get kept in the pocket. You know, he was known for sort of what Deshaun does. But I think Deshaun just has a skill set and a knack for finding an open open uh, receiver. And he goes through his reads pretty well. And he makes outstanding throws, too. I think he may survive and become a, a pretty good pocket passer as he gets a little bit older, and I think he may have the potential to make Hall of Fame. I don't think he'll mm-hmm. be on a, the Breeze and Manning and you know Tom Brady and Montana, Joe Montana echelon, but I think he'll be in that next tier, I think. That's my personal it's possible. opinion. It's definitely possible. Well, there's a couple other interesting quarterbacks that we have that are currently playing. Uh, what do you think about Dak Prescott? He wears a number four with the Dallas Cowboys right now. I like Prescott. I think he hasn't yet done much winning, which I I wonder. I don't know. Have they even made the playoffs in the time that he's been the starter? I want to just take a look. At that, well, I guess yeah, his rookie year they were thirteen right. and three, so they definitely would have made the playoffs that year, and then ten and six in in two thousand eighteen. So, yeah, he's taken them to the playoffs. He he won a playoff game in eighteen. He, I remember in two thousand sixteen, he when he was he was rookie of the year that year, and it was him and Ezekiel Elliott both rookies, and there were talks that each of them was a candidate both for rookie of the year and for MVP he his rookie year may very well have been his best year when you combine not just the stats but the winning I think that unlike Watson the fact that Prescott has a team that he's with and a team that he's happy with and he's also presumably he's got the running back as well in Elliot, I think that maybe he has a bright future ahead of him in Dallas if they can get the pieces around him. The other thing I like about Elliot is he was hurt a lot this year, but prior to that, he was very, very durable. Very durable. He, for his first four seasons, he didn't miss a game, didn't miss a start. So I would say I, I like Elliot. In some ways, I'm more I'm more optimistic about him than Watson. Actually, even though I think Watson's probably got more skill. I like what Zeke, or I'm sorry, what Prescott has done in Dallas. Right, he. It's interesting, you know. Like you said, his 2016, the Cowboys were 13 and three. He actually threw more yard. His best year was 2019. He uh, had threw over 4,900 yards, which is 1,300 more than he did his next best season. Um, he had 30 touchdowns. Before that, his best was 23. That was his rookie year. And his touchdowns, 106, 40 interceptions. So he's sort of on par percentage-wise, real close to what Deshaun Watson is, uh, both in their young careers. Real real Mm -hmm. comparable numbers there. But I think, yeah, I think you're right. Dak is, he's... uh, He's, I mean, he's got got some legs. You know, he's not the speed demon that Deshaun Watson is or Lamar is. But if he if he needs to get outside and you know pick up some yards around the end, he can. And but he's got a very accurate arm, and he again he's he's a very uh, cerebral quarterback. I think for a young young man in the, in the NFL, he has some decent reads, and that doesn't 
have the big turnovers that you see some of uh, the young quarterbacks make. And as a Giant fan, I can speak to just how weak the NFC East is right now. So if he can if he can get himself healthy, and if he can keep having some of these pieces around him, he's well positioned in the NFC East for the next few years. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we have uh, I have one other quarterback that's that's well, I have two other quarterbacks that are active. One that, that plays quite a bit, and that's Derek Carr. Derek Carr of the the Las Vegas Raiders. I have to be careful how I say that. I keep slipping up and saying Oakland. He's already first all-time in passing yards all-time for the Raiders franchise, and that's a team that's had LaMonica and Kenny Stabler, you know, guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Rich Gannon had a couple of years with crazy, crazy yardage. Carr is already, and it's, he's been on the team for seven years, so maybe I shouldn't say already, but he's first all-time in passing for Derek Carr. He's been to the Pro Bowl three times. Talking about durability, he's another one. He's only missed two games in his entire seven-year career, which is really impressive. Wow. That is I impressive. Hate to put, I hate to put too much weight on this because he is still only one player, even if he is the quarterback. The fact that he's never – I don't believe he's ever been to the playoffs, has he? Derek Carr, I – I saw that he had a 12-3 and record in 2016, 16. so I, I, find it hard to be, I find it hard to believe that they didn't make the playoffs. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just I, missing I, things, but I don't see any postseason stats on his stats hmm. page. Yeah, I don't remember him uh, them being in the playoffs, but gosh, for 12-3, they, they had to be uh, in the playoffs, you would think. Uh, they he, lost uh, to Houston in the in the first round in 2016, and I'm just looking. Okay. Maybe Carr was maybe he was hurt. Well, he only had 15 mm. games, and so maybe he got hurt at the end of the season and missed uh, the playoffs. Yeah, their starting quarterback in this game was a guy. I have to admit, I have no recollection of was Connor Cook. So hmm. don't know okay. much about him. They lost to uh, they lost to Brock Osweiler and the Houston Texans that year. <laughs> but I um yeah no so he okay so he, I guess you can't really blame him for not playing in that game he did lead the team to the playoffs so okay I, I retract my criticism slightly but nonetheless even even one playoff appearance in seven years is not not much to write home about yeah that's uh not and i um look at his touchdown to interception he is you could tell he's he's not quite with the uh, deshaun and zach or Dakar, he's 170 touchdowns, 71 interceptions. So I think that's sort of his his uh, moniker that's on him a little bit. Is he'll he'll try to feed a ball in where he shouldn't and mm-hmm. uh, take takes the picks, and that's probably why the Raiders uh, struggle from now and then. So Mr. Gruden is a quarterback whisperer, though. You think he would be having him uh, <laughs> come around a little bit here as his career goes on? Yeah. Give him a couple more years with him, and and uh, he actually has. Uh, he's picked. Well, his second year with Oakland, he had 32 touchdowns. Uh, this last year, he had 27, and he was sort of in between. He was sort of on a roller coaster ride. So maybe Gruden's got him going in a positive direction. Now, here's my my sleeper, who I said is a still active player, and this is kind of a, a surprise to everybody. But that's Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Ryan Fitzpatrick mm. did. Doesn't wear the number four now, but did wear the number four for one year in 2013 with the Tennessee Titans. So he probably <laughs> doesn't have much many stats and uh, with the number four on, but he still was an active quarterback on there. Now, how about you uh, mentioned? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I was going to say you mentioned uh, Andrew in my podcast, the Hello Old Sports. One of the things that we did recently, I think it was a few episodes ago, we did a Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks for every team in NFL history and I think there were probably four or five teams or thereabouts where Ryan Fitzpatrick was like just missing the cut he didn't make it onto the top four of any of the teams but like for the Jets and for Miami and for Buffalo and he played the whole AFC East I think he played yeah he's never been in New England but other than that yeah (laughs) so there were like there were three or four teams where it was like can we put Ryan Fitzpatrick on so yeah he's played on what one two three four five nine different teams it looks like and he he may not be done yet so he's uh, he's also like only a month he's only a month younger than me so or I'm sorry a month older than me so 
I want him to stay in the league so that there are still some NFL players who are older than I am. I've heard some conversations on some talk radio and and that about him, you know, that he probably won't be a Dolphin next year. And I've heard some speculation, you know, maybe the Colts or you know, some, that was one of the teams I've heard mentioned. Uh, I'm trying to think who the other one is. Oh, uh, Chicago Bears is another one that would have take a lot of interest in, in him. But uh, a lot of people are saying, though, too, that uh, Mr. Tua down there really relied on Fitzpatrick, and it might behoove the Dolphins to try to resign him just to have that, uh, you know, sort of uh, old, old guy on the sideline that can give you some good advice for your young quarterback starting out. So He's kind of everything that a backup quarterback should be. He's able to go in for a couple games and just with his experience and his guile and the little bit of skill he's got left, he's able to win you a game or two maybe as sort of a nice change of pace. I mean, you think about it, he's a totally different quarterback than Tua. And also he doesn't seem to have much of an ego, so he's a good guy to mentor a young quarterback. So I think that he's kind of, if you're a coach and you're looking for a backup quarterback, you could do a lot worse than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Right, and uh, I think it was was it this year or last year where he even showed uh, at his advanced age he showed that he still had some wheels on on him too to mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. get around end and makes pick up some yardage, which was surprising. That goes against everything I said earlier about quarterbacks as they get older <laughs> <laughs> being more mobile. Now I have uh, only one other substantial quarterback on my list who's retired now, and I don't know if you have any other quarterbacks but i have trent dilfer on it were the number four for three seasons when he was a seahawk i did not have him on my list i i don't think i don't certainly don't think of him as a as a number four i think of him as a number 12 especially in that one year with baltimore where they beat the giants in the super bowl which i still am pained by so (laughs) <laughs> I did not have Dilfer on my list. I did have one other retired quarterback, unless you had something else you wanted to say about Dilfer. No, no, please. The, the only guy I had was Jim Harbaugh. Okay, yeah, I forgot later, about him. Later the coach of the 49ers, and he was sort of the the quarterback in Chicago in the last few Ditka years. I think, I don't want to swear to this, but I think he made the playoffs once or twice with Chicago, and then he was also the quarterback on this 95 Colts team. It was the only time Harbaugh ever made the playoffs, and it was this Colts yeah. team that kind of came out of nowhere. And almost, and I remember watching this game as a kid. Oh, you're you're, starting to, hit a, to, you're starting to hit a sore subject. You know, I'm a Steelers fan. I can, I can feel <laughs> yeah. the knife going in a little bit. But it shouldn't be a sore subject <laughs> because you guys won. And there was a play, oh. and I think it was a controversial play in the end zone, if I'm remembering yes. correctly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, because wasn't that play part of the reason why they brought replay back? Uh, it, that's just one of the reasons, yes, because Harbaugh threw that desperation pass from like his own 40 to the end zone. His his man got up a, over top of the, the DBs for the Steelers, who were obviously all back in the end zone waiting for it. And mm-hmm. he got his hands on it, started to bring it down, and it just fell to the ground. Actually, when it happened real time, it looked like he caught it because his body sort of shielded the ball from the viewer. Mm. And I, this is a year after the Steelers had lost the AFC Championship game to the Chargers and Stan Humphreys, if you remember that's right, that game. That's right. And mm-hmm. uh, so you just got that sick feeling in your, the pit of your stomach as a Steeler fan when you watch that. Oh, no, it can't be. can't happen again, <laughs> can it? Not this way. But it, it did fall to the ground. But, yes, that's that's one of my main things I remember Harbaugh as a player. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that quarterback room, when he was a Chicago Bear, they had four – Pretty notable, uh, notable quarterbacks on that team. You know, you have, of course had Jim McMahon. Uh, you had um, Harbaugh. I'm trying to think. Uh, gosh, well, even the, the backups for McMahon were Steve Fuller, Fuller, that's and I was Mike Tomzak. Yes, Tomzak in '85, and then in '86 they brought in Doug Flutie. And, and it was like all of a sudden they had four quarterbacks. They had and they had, didn't they have Evans too? Uh, World Mobile. I think that was a, that, that was earlier. That was the early eighties. Okay, okay. Evans was the early eighties. I think he was before McMahon. Okay. But the one year they had the four of them, and then the following year they drafted Harbaugh. I think in the first round. So crazy <laughs> quarterback controversies, and um, yeah, 
Jim Harbaugh right right in the middle of it. But so he he was the only other retired quarterback that I had on my list. The, the rest of mine is uh, kickers and punters. That that's what I have also. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Harbaugh. We don't want to forget him. Well, we have probably probably one of the top kickers ever to play is was a number four. Um, and I don't know if you want to bring him up. Go ahead. Vinatieri, uh, 48 right. years old and third oldest player of all time behind George Blanda and the, the second person escapes me at the moment. And I think there's talk that he might try and come back again next year. He's at least considered. Now, he's been really kind of on the decline the last couple of years. But there's at least some talk that he might come back and try and play next year. He made it to – he's kicked in, I want to say, six Super Bowls. Everybody remembers him those three, the first three years of the Patriots dynasty with Belichick. But he was actually the kicker on the Parcells team that lost to Green Bay – in oh, 96. Okay. I think that was either his rookie year or his second year. He's hmm. he game-winning field goals in the first two Super Bowls that the Patriots won. He, I believe, is the only guy who scored 1,000 points for two different teams, Indian, New England. And he was one of the two kickers on the NFL 100 team last year with Jan Stenerud. Or no, was it Stenerud or might have been one of the Andersons? But he, it, either way, Vinatieri was one of them. And I think I think it was Stenerud. Uh, was it Stenerud? Yeah, I think so. I and I mean I I gotta say I think Vinatieri's going to the Hall of Fame. I, if you're I think gonna put you're a right. kicker in the Hall of Fame, and they've let a couple of them in, you got to put Vinatieri in. Uh, I I totally agree. I mean, he was great kicker with the Patriots. And then, you know, back in that era, you know, back when Peyton Manning was still playing, he ended up leaving the Patriots with Tom Brady and going to the sort of the nemesis of the Patriots, the you know, the Indianapolis mm-hmm. Colts and Peyton Manning. And, I mean, he still had a great career with with the Colts even till you know, he, he might have stayed a, a year or two longer than he should have. Probably last year was probably not his best season of uh, statistically. Mm-hmm. He uh, had a couple real bad uh, key kicks that he, he missed that, would have won his team uh, another game or two, I think. Yeah, I remember there was the one game where he was like, you almost got the impression that he was planning to retire the next morning. He's like, well, I got to go home and assess this. And then he ended up he ended up sticking around not only for that, but also for all of this year. So Yeah, that's true. Who knows? That's true. Yeah. That's, I'm hoping maybe he he retires because I'd want to remember him mm-hmm. the way the way he was with the Patriots in his early Colts days. Uh few more kickers on here that are worth mentioning uh i'm not sure if, if uh, J- jason hansen uh john casey phil dawson uh dean biasucci jay feely neil rackers is who i have as sort of rounding out the kickers that were substantial i was a little more parsimonious with the kickers than you did the only two that i had down on my list to talk about were hansen and john casey okay Hanson, I think, is Hanson 21 years with the Detroit Lions. And I guess yeah. he just, he must have just found a place where he liked to be and they respected him. And he must have liked living in the Detroit area. And I don't know what his situation is, but maybe he had a family. Maybe he had kids in school, you know, whatever. Like, it's weird that a guy would spend that much time with the Detroit Lions and not at least try to leave. But, but. but don't you think that maybe the a, a dome, a dome is a very friendly place for a kicker, and it that seems could have to been part of it too. It gives them some longevity. I mean, Vinatieri going to, going to Indianapolis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Gary Anderson who you know left the Steelers and I think the Giants and so he played for the Giants, maybe not, maybe Anderson didn't. But what goes to Minnesota and has a a brilliant career at the end of his career, you know, mm-hmm. Morton really, Anderson in Atlanta, right? Those are, I think the domes are very friendly to the kicker. That's a good point too. Hansen is the all-time Lions leader in points by over a thousand points. There's only one other guy, and that's Eddie Murray, the the Lions kicker, who was the kicker for the twelve years before Hansen. So they had one, <laughs> they had two kickers basically for over thirty years. Wow. 
Hanson, I'm sorry, Murray is the only other guy with over a thousand points besides Hanson. So Hanson leads every other scorer in Lions history by a margin that's more than those people even have. So in other words, twenty one fifty for Murray twenty one fifty for Hansen, eleven thirteen for Murray, and then seven sixty eight for the next guy down. So Hansen's got everybody but Murray beat by a good, you know, almost fourteen hundred points. Which wow. would be enough uh, to be the leader in the first place. So Right. That that's impressive. That is impressive. Great career. And then this sort of similar with John Casey. He wasn't there for as long. Best known as the longtime Panthers kicker, and he's he's their all time points scored leader as well. But he he ended up having uh, twenty seasons all in. I mean, not all with Carolina, but he had four with mm-hmm. Seattle and one with New Orleans. After that, so he was real close with the the two decades of kicking. Um, Absolutely, but yeah, some good players there. I have one punter I think that's worth mentioning that we're number four, and that's uh, uh, I actually had two. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. I did. I did. Well, I I had Reggie Roby. I thought uh, he was a, a great quarterback or great quarterback, great uh, punter for his time. Um, time was mostly, I believe, with the Dolphins. Uh, mm-hmm. I just remember he uh, led the league a few of those years with the, his punting statistics and uh, really put def- put offenses of the opposition into some tough spots with uh, his accurate punting. So I thought he was worth mentioning in our list. Yep, he's on the all-1980s team. He's a two-time All-Pro. The worst game of Roby's career was probably Super Bowl 19 against the 49ers. He had a horrible punting day against the 49ers, so much so that Shula mentions it in the post game. He said, we have a really good punter, but we didn't have a really good punter today. So how often do you hear a coach who loses a Super Bowl <laughs> mentioning the punter as a reason why yeah. they lost? So... Yeah, a guy I remember sort of as a young football fan, Reggie, when you, when you ask somebody to name a really good punter, Reggie Roby was the guy who you often would, would, would mention. And then the other guy I had was Brad Maynard, who was, um, and I believe he was a number four, unless I'm... Uh, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a number four. He's, and he was a punter first with the Giants and then later with the... Chicago Bears. Giants drafted him in the third round in 1997, which is high for a punter. Now, he didn't actually wear number four with the Giants. He wore number nine, but he wore uh, number four with the Bears from 2001 to 2010. Selected in the third round, uh, he leads the NFL in total punting yards three times. And then uh, going back for the second time to that horrible horrible Super Bowl 35 where the Giants were annihilated by the Ravens. Brad Maynard has the record for the most punts by a punter in a single Super Bowl, which just gives you an idea of how terrible the Giants offense was that day. And then after that season, he goes to Chicago, punts for another 10 years, and that's where he wears number four. So just one other that I thought was was worth a mention. Oh, I, I agree. All right. Well, I think it's, we've sort of put a compelling case for all the substantial players uh, covered uh, basically three uh, three position groups that uh, would wear the number four in this day and age uh, and even some of the in the olden days before they had the numbering restrictions and I think if we wanted to try to round it out to, to let's say a top five we already said we're going to put Favre and Ernie Nevers and Tuffy Lehmans in there because they're Hall of Famers they sort of get that automatic nod who, who out of all our other people, who do you think should be our, our other two gentlemen that join them? I would say you have to have Vinatieri because he's probably going to the Hall of Fame and okay. he's quite possibly the best kicker of all time. So yeah, That's a good point. I would I would say you have to put him on there. Uh, hmm. And then after that, I mean, it's probably... It, it's probably one of these three modern quarterbacks, right? Carr, Prescott, or Watson. That's who I have it sort of narrowed down to, too. So you almost got to pick who you think the best of those three are. And they're all all comparable. Well, let me say this. I think probably Derek Carr, just based on his statistics and his win-loss, is probably a little bit 
below where Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would agree with you there. I would agree okay. with you there. So it's sort of a, a, a two-horse race here between you know Dak and Deshaun. Very you comparable know, numbers. I'm going to say Prescott because I think he's – oh, jeez. You know – you know, now I'd probably say Watson. Watson's numbers are more eye popping. Uh, even though I said, "Darn I think, it!" You, you, I thought we were going to have a debate because I was going <laughs> to go on that that Watson fence. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I I could make the case for Prescott. I think, but um, I think the case for Prescott is that he's he's won a little more, and I like I said, I think he's more he's better positioned going forward to win. But if we're just basing it on sort of current resume, I would say Deshaun. Okay, I I would agree with that. So just for, so we have it uh, for the record, Dan and Darren are going to say that we have Favre, Lehman's, Nevers, Vinatieri, and Deshaun Watson as our top number four jersey wearers of all time in the NFL. That's uh, as it stands in twenty twenty one here. Now uh, I'd like to change gears here a little bit to, to wrap up the show and first of all we appreciate you coming on here today and oh, having I'm this discussion with us but uh, we want to hear a little bit uh for the listenership of the the pigskin dispatch a little bit about your uh hello old sports what can you tell us about that what would a listener expect to hear you know a little bit of everything you mentioned in the intro that andrew and i grew up in new york and so there are a lot of episodes or not a lot of episodes but there are have been some episodes that have had more of a New York bent. Uh, our most recent episode was Super Bowl twenty five, where we kind of went through the whole game. Mm-hmm. That was when the Giants beat the Bills twenty to nineteen in nineteen ninety season thirty years ago. So that's sort of one sort of episode where we that we do where we kind of look back at a specific topic, and then we do a lot of lists. We do um, we did the Mount Rushmore quarterbacks. We early on we did a couple of baseball theme where we did sort of all time rosters for the Yankees and for the teams that played in New York in the National League. So we've done that type of thing. We've done a few sort of deep dives into specific topics. We talked about nineteen twenty in sports. We talked about we did a couple of season, couple early on where we talked about boxing and sort of the history of the heavyweight boxing title and what mm-hmm. it used to mean, what it means now, that type of thing. Um, so really, it, it's very eclectic. I mean, we, we and it's um, ironic given what just happened a couple of days ago in the Super Bowl, but right around the time, um, right around the fall, when um, the Rays were in the World Series and the Bucks were riding high with Brady and the Tampa Bay Lightning had won the Stanley Cup, we did an episode about the history of sports in Tampa Bay. Um, well, you got a couple of Nostradamuses here. <laughs> <laughs> we got an episode. We're, we're, we're trying to do a little more basketball in February because we've kind of neglected that. We've got an episode coming up with a, a guy who um, wrote a book about the, the Knicks in the 90s. So we got that coming up in a couple weeks. So we're really sort of all over the place. And the one other thing that we did that I really enjoyed doing, and I, I you know we spent a lot of time putting it together and and this Darren was good enough, along with a few of the other hosts on the Sports History Network, to jump on with us. We did – it was three episodes throughout December. It was an in-memoriam thing where we talked about several dozen of the, the players and coaches and others who'd passed away during the year. And some some were guys like Gail Sayers or um, Tom Seaver or Whitey Ford, you know, guys you've heard of. But then we also talked about – Ken Riley, or we talked about Jim Nielsen from the Rangers hockey team, some of the lesser-known guys. So that was something we did that had a lot of fun. So a long-winded answer to your short question is that we really do do a little bit of everything. We we tend to have sort of um, Army football. That was another one. We did a couple episodes that, that on Army was, football. I was going to mention that. That was probably one of my favorites that you've done. And I'm not an Army fan. I'm not mm-hmm. from that area, but... I mean, it was outstanding, the history that uh, I didn't realize that happened with Army football. That was, that was a great show. And I, I love that tribute that you did at those, that three-part series, too. Thank that, you. Uh, and Thank I, was, you. I was honored to be a part of that. But uh, great, great uh, way, way that you, you, you presented it and honored those, those mm-hmm. folks that had fallen in the year 2020 in sports history. That was a great tribute to them and uh, very appreciative. And uh, we are very appreciative that you joined us today. Absolutely. Um, and you, you said you got some basketball coming up in the future. Anything else coming up that we can look for 
from the um, Hello World Sports. We got some basketball coming up. Um, everything from uh, the other thing that we're doing, and, and we did the basketball one, and we're going to do we're doing the football one next. I don't know when that's actually going to be. It might not be until April or May. Uh, but we're looking at sort of rival leagues. So for football, that would be the AFL, but then also the oh, AAFC. Yeah. Oh yeah. And we'll talk about even going to like the World Football League, and then you know the XFL. Both, um, both uh, got version three coming up this year. Version three, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we, you know both previous iterations, and then and then the next one. So that's another thing we're looking at. Uh, I always, you know, I I live in D.C. now, and the the joke is if you don't like the weather in D.C., just wait five minutes and. I kind of think the same thing applies to our podcast. If you don't like, if you don't want to hear about the Patrick Ewing Knicks of the '90s, wait till next week because you'll probably be hearing about you know some Super Bowl or some baseball player from 1915. So we're we're just all over the place. It's outstanding, and like I said, if you haven't listened to Hello Old Sports, you really have to do yourself a favor and and give it a listen because it is great. As long as, uh, or as well as we have, uh, I believe, seventeen different podcasts on the SportsHistoryNetwork.com. We're really growing. Yeah, every time I say that, I, I look and uh, you know Arnie Chapman does some great work over there. He adds you know, one or two more. I just said it last week we had fifteen, and somebody call, commented to me, "Hey, you didn't look a Sports History <laughs> Network has more now." I'm like, "Oh, okay, Jeez, that's great." <laughs> yeah, so sometimes under the cover tonight uh, we have we have another podcast coming on. It's some great uh, great hosts there for everybody to listen to, including Dan and his brother Andrew. On the Hello Old Sports. And Dan, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we'll, we'll look forward to listening. To- Darren, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. What a great discussion that was on the number fours. We certainly had a great time doing it and talked about some great football players that wore that number four. Uh, very interesting indeed. And make sure you join us in a couple of days. We're going to go over the number five jerseys. Uh, probably be a solo event, just me talking about them. We'll try to come up a list with number fives on there. And uh, if you make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player right now so you can know as soon as the next edition is released. And we're going to do some football history headlines this week. We're going to talk about some more numbers and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Sports History Network and have some more great hosts of that uh, great organization join us with my partners uh here uh so make sure you check them out sportshistorynetwork.com and listen to all those other great podcasts we have and of course we have our flagship uh, website pigskindispatch.com forward slash podcast and you can listen to all the podcasts of the pigskin daily history dispatch and until tomorrow everybody have a great gridiron day Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.